Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, animal people, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show, now broadcasting from our new home at KJAZ 88.1 FM. We're thrilled to be here. I'm your host, Marie Hewlett, and I'll be introducing you to some wonderful people and organizations that all tie into the world of animals, from pets to farm animals to wildlife. What's great about this program is I always invite the folks and organizations that you want to hear from. So be sure to write to me at PetPlaceRadio at gmail.com to let me know what topic or guest you'd like featured. As long as it's animal-related and family-friendly, I'll track down the right person to cover the interests that listeners write in about. Now, some of you know that when I was growing up, I had pet chickens. Yep, chickens. They were fabulous little companions, and I really don't think most people realize that chickens have great personalities. They're affectionate, they're smart, and as you could probably figure from that statement, I am a vegetarian. Now that I've given you that little bit of info, you're not going to be surprised that I've invited a very special guest today to talk about the most remarkable airlift rescue I've ever heard about. It involves 3,000 egg-laying hens that were almost slated to be killed after devoting their lives to give everyone fresh eggs for breakfast. It's a pretty cool story, even for people who don't necessarily have a soft spot for chickens. Then, after our halftime break, we're going to discuss pet first aid and in-home safety with Matthew Woods from Camp Bow Wow. It's essential information that every pet giver should know. This and more just on the other side of the quick station message. So keep your radio tuned to KJAZ 88.1 FM and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Kim Sterla, the Executive Director of Animal Place. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. I'm so happy to have you on the program. Well, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Now, I just want to tell you, I had chickens growing up. They were my my little pets. I raised them from baby chicks. In fact, I had them in my bedroom until they were old enough to be outside and they thought I was their mom and they followed me everywhere. It was very cool. And and one of them actually enjoyed watching basketball games. He'd come into the house and he'd just stare at the <laughs> monitor and he'd pick at the ball on the screen. He was just fascinated. It was a great experience growing up with chickens. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize how intelligent of animals they are. I think they typically get a bad rap. Yeah, they do. Well, you know, I think that's one way people justify eating them. If if you think it's not an intelligent, sentient being, then it's no problem putting them in the oven and serving them with gravy. I agree. So for me, obviously, that's that's not the way it is in my home, but... I'm hoping that with our discussion today, and it's going to be about chickens, we might change a few minds about chickens and maybe find some homes for some great little pets. Well, that would be wonderful. Now, you have a pretty remarkable story, and it revolves around about 1,200 former egg-laying hens. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? 
Well, interestingly, over the past three years, we have actually saved 12,000 hens. Wow. Um, most of these being, you know, spent hens using the egg industry. About five weeks ago, we were able to liberate 3,000 hens from an egg farm. They allowed us to come in and save as many as we could. And of those 3,000 lives that we saved, we actually airlifted 1,150 um, to New York. Wow. And what are you doing with them in New York? We, we knew when we had the opportunity to save, to go into the farm and, and save these hens. We wanted to save as many as we could. And with our resources, we felt responsibly we could take care of maybe 2,000 mm-hmm. um, animals and obviously look at placing them into permanent forever homes. As we were debating how many we could save, a donor heard about it and said, listen, I know, as we knew, there were sanctuaries back east that could take the hens, but the the challenge was how do we transport, you know, a 1,000-plus hens back east? <laughs> and bet. commercial airliners do not accept adult hens as baggage. Um, driving that number of hens across country would have entailed uh, probably a dozen vehicles. And um, so the next thing was, you know, rent a, rent a cargo plane and, and airlift them. Wow. And the donor stepped forward and said, I'll pay for it if that means you can save a thousand more lives. Oh, that is awesome. So, so they, It is awesome. They all went together to one place. They went to actually about six sanctuaries back east. Okay, okay. Um, Woodstock, Sasha Farms, uh, Catskills, Farm Sanctuary, United Poultry Concerns. Um, they all came forward and took a number of hints to take back to their sanctuary to put up for adoption. Excellent. And so once they're there, that that's not where they're going to live the rest of their lives. They are going to attempt to try and find permanent homes where they can get a little that's more. That's my understanding, yes. What is the average egg-laying hen like? I know with my little guys that I raised from little baby chicks, they were very social and very friendly. But I think... A hen that grows up in a factory farm kind of setting doesn't have that kind of connection to human beings. Can you tell me a little bit about what they're like? Yes, it's interesting in a very sad way when you rescue the hens that are raised in in egg farms. And as we know, the vast majority of them, 99% of them, are raised in these small, small cramped cages where several hens are jammed in there and they barely can have enough space to turn around Certainly no enrichment, not even purchase. So their feet are are always on wire, oh. and that's all they know is just a cramped cage. Um, and when we rescue them, it takes them time to slowly become a chicken. Mm-hmm. And it's a process that takes many, many months. Um, sadly, <clears throat> when we bring them back to the sanctuary, we take them out of their transport cages. They just huddle together. Because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do, and the space is too frightening. And then in a week, we slowly open the barn doors to give them access to outside. Mm -hmm. And that is another frightening experience for them. Have they not ever seen daylight before? Never feeling daylight, never having the sun on their shoulders. How long do hens live in these conditions before they're retired, and retired means destroying them? How long is a life the, like this? They keep the hens for between a year and a half and two years of age. At that point, their egg production decreases, 
and it decreases to an extent where it's not in the farmer's financial interest to keep her alive. So they go to slaughter or they're gassed. Okay. And so all the hens we rescue are, are generally under two years of age. Wow. And it was my understanding, too, that egg-laying hens don't necessarily become food afterwards. They're just destroyed and disposed of. You're absolutely correct. The breeds used for the egg industry, the white leghorn is a common breed. That's the one that we primarily have rescued. They're very small, um, bony birds, and so much of their their energy goes into this high egg production. We've bred these birds to do very, very high egg production of a few hundred eggs a year rather than, you know, mm-hmm. one a week for a typical just regular old chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're for a time when the farmer wants to get rid of them, the, the hens aren't serving their purpose to him or her anymore, um, they don't. They don't have enough meat on their flesh to make good eaten birds. So they're and just therefore, destroyed. There's no value. So they yeah. go right to the slaughter line or just gassed on the farm. Aww. And then they're composted into the ground. And, and that's the end of, that's how they're treated at the end of their life. They're, that is so sad. Their life of the, I think, the chicken raised for her is probably the worst of all animals on our farms. Here in California, the voters recently enacted some legislation that would require that farm animals had more space. Is this more of a national trend? Do you see this happening more? Are we improving the lives of our farm animals? Well, yes, I think it's slowly becoming a national trend. Uh, The initiative in California was fairly simple. It just said for chickens raised for their eggs and little veal calves and pigs used for breeding purposes that they needed to be housed in a cage that was large enough that they could spread their wings or stretch their limbs without touching the side of the cage. Um, unfortunately, industries dealing with the, the, this legislation, which goes into effect next or in 2015, I think, in California, by just making larger cages, but really actually increasing the number of birds per cage. Um, there's yeah. some experiment with a little bit of enrichment, um, but the bottom line is um, that's such little improvement um, for animals where their their two years of existence is just pure hell. It is. It is. It, it actually breaks my heart. And I think a lot of people are also misled by packaging when they see that something is labeled free range. Can you address that? Well, of course, there's no legal definition what it means for a free-range chicken or a cage-free chicken. So it, it, it's meaningless. Um, I can only say that the first rescue we did with our Rescue Ranch Adoption Program is we rescued 200 hens, not just from a free-range operation, but in actually one of those upscale boutique farms where the, the eggs say, you know, sold for like $10 a dozen. Mm-hmm highly regarded farmer, and those birds were in the most horrendous shape when we brought them back to the sanctuary. They had identification bands on all the chickens. They were like little springs that went around their legs. And we've all heard the story when people put a collar around a puppy, and as the puppy grows, that collar gets embedded in her neck. Right. That's exactly what happened to 200 birds. As we were pulling them out of the transport cages, literally toes dropped off, Feet dropped off five of them. Wow. And in every bird, we had to take these little needle point um, tweezers to pull 
their identification band out of the, from in, you know, it was embedded in their muscle. Um, it was one of the most horrendous cruelty cases we've ever seen, and that was from an upscale free-range farm. That's just amazing. It, it's, I think because it's out of sight and out of mind, the general public, doesn't think about this when they're out shopping. Well, and it is out of state, you know, and they don't see it. So how really mm-hmm. does your average consumer know from where their food comes? I, I I wished I was able to do, I wish I could do public tours, um, not just at our sanctuary, but take them inside an egg farm. If people ha- could have accompanied me when I went into that egg farm a month and a half ago to pull those birds out of the cages, I dare say none of those people would be, you know, eating the the morning omelet after seeing what those birds have to experience day after day after day um, just for, you know, for us to have their eggs. Well, I can't say enough about what you guys are doing, and I suspect that this probably isn't a free endeavor, and you could probably (laughs) use a little help financially to to give these little little girls a second chance. Yeah, that's kind of an life. understatement. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes um, these huge rescues take a financial toll on the organization, and and an emotional toll. Um, How it, could somebody help out if they wanted to? Well, they can go into our website at animalplace.org, and from there they can do a couple of things. They can find out more about um, going vegan and you know eliminating eggs from their diet. Two, they can go to our adoption page and fill out an adoption application if they're so moved to adopt a small flock that they have the ability to care for. Um, And three, they can make a donation. So there are a variety of ways um, that almost everybody can can do something to help. Okay, that's outstanding. So let's give out that website one more time. Uh, www.animalplace.org. Excellent. Thank you so much for Thank stopping you. by today. We, Appreciate it. We do need to take a quick pet place break now, but when we return, Matthew Woods from Camp Bow Wow has all the do's and don'ts revolving around pet safety and pet first aid that every pet caregiver should know about. So stay tuned to KJAZZ 88.1 FM, and we'll get started momentarily when we return to the Pet Place Radio Show. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett, and I'm very happy to introduce our next guest. It's Matthew Woods from Camp Bow Wow. Good morning, Matthew, and welcome to the Pet Place. Good morning. I am so happy that you've stopped by today because I understand you're an expert on pet safety and also putting together a pet safety emergency pack. Well, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but uh, I got some basic knowledge on that that I would uh, be happy to share with you today. Well, that's outstanding, and I know the number one rule is to treat your pet like you would treat a child. They're active, they can get into dangerous situations, and in a home, if you have a little kid, you always baby-proof and kid-proof everything. Should you puppy-proof and kitten-proof your home? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you should... Uh, you should treat your pets in your home like you would uh, you have a child in your house. Um, active puppies and kittens, they can easily get into dangerous situations, and um, you need to take that in con- into consideration. 
Absolutely. So if you have power cords that are laying around and you have a puppy that's in the teething stage, you probably don't want to leave your puppy free and clear access to get to that power cord or it's going to think, ooh, something to chew on. That's right. And uh, also uh, plants in the house, you need to be aware of plants and um, where they are and access to your pets if they're at your pet's level close to the ground. Um, plants can be very poisonous. Okay, so you want to probably have the pet poison control line on your refrigerator just in case there is some kind of poison incident, whether it be a plant or maybe they got into a chemical, a cleaning chem- chemical that's in a cabinet under the sink. Maybe you didn't close your cabinet correctly and a puppy or a kitten or one of your other uh, animals has gotten in there. Uh, would you recommend having the poison control number ready and ready to go? Absolutely. And um, you want the nearest emergency veterinary clinic near you as well. And more importantly, you need to know how to get there. Um, So have the directions to that facility um, close by with the phone number. And um, or maybe underneath that with some notes on how to get there so in case uh, somebody's pet sitting for you or uh, a friend needs to take that pet. That's great advice because a lot of emergency clinics, they're not your normal veterinarian. If your pet gets into a situation on a weekend or very late at night when your regular veterinarian has closed up shop, the only place you can go is an emergency clinic. And you might have never been there before, so that's great advice to know how to get there, know the phone number, and be ready in an emergency. Well, let's talk about snakes in California. We've been having some pretty hot weather, and I know as a former animal control person, I used to do a lot of rattlesnake removal everywhere in Orange County, even in places where you wouldn't think you'd have rattlesnakes. I I pulled rattlesnakes out of laundry rooms in Huntington Beach, so they are everywhere. (laughs) And you want to be real careful with your pets because dogs are curious and cats are curious, and if they come across a poisonous snake... What are they going to do? And more important, what are you going to do if they're bitten? Exactly. And, and as you know, as I'm, I'm sure you know, that uh, early spring and late summer is rattlesnake season in Southern California. And um, I know a lot of people like to go out hiking uh, in the nearby open spaces and mountain areas of the area. And uh, so a snake aversion training, getting snake aversion training uh, uh, at your local park and recreation area is a good thing to have. Um, they offer classes that range anywhere between 75 and $80, and, and you could just uh, get basic knowledge about what to do uh, in case your animal is bit by a, by a snake. That's great. It's very good to know. Definitely educate yourself on what to do with regards to our local poisonous snakes. And I mentioned cats, too. I always promote the idea of keeping your cats indoors. That's where they're going to be safe. They're not going to be hit by cars. They're not going to be eaten by coyotes. They're not going to get into fights with other neighborhood cats. They're going to be safe and sound in your home. But the thing about snakes, they can get into your house. When you least expect it, you might find a snake in your fireplace, for example. In fact, I actually removed a snake from a fireplace in Anaheim Hills uh, a number of years ago, and that was quite interesting. Uh, that that must have been fun. <laughs> Did you guys get to know each other? Uh, very well, actually. It was interesting because the home belonged to a, f- a former L.A. Rams football player because, I don't know if you remember this, but the Rams used to play 
locally here in Anaheim. In Los Angeles, yeah. Yeah, and for a while, a lot of the players lived in Anaheim Hills. Uh, and when I pulled up, I was this woman driving up in my truck, and I stepped out of the car, and there were these three big, burly football players that were standing outside <coughs> that were scared. And then I walked out, and they said, they sent a little girl to come get the snake? Of course, that was my button, you know, I totally yeah. pushed my buttons. And so I went into the house and I got the snake on a snake pole and I brought it out and I held it right up to the faces of these three big burly guys pretending that I didn't know I was scaring them to death. And I said, see, this is your typical western diamondback. Notice the pattern here along its spine. And they were jumping all over the place and I was <laughs> laughing so hard. But anyway, I digress. The point That's is, great. You're, a snake can get in anywhere. So if you have a cat, a cat is going to be very curious and very playful because to him, seeing a snake running around is like a cat toy, and they're going to be pouncing on it. So be prepared for anything. And I don't know if there's snake aversion training for cats. Do you? Uh, you know, I really don't know, but I I think uh, the rules would apply if uh, if there was. And, and getting back to the dog um, situation, just keep in mind that the best rule is to always keep your dog by your side when you're walking or you're hiking in those areas. And uh, just don't let your animal go off leash and explore. Keep, keep them close by you if you're in an area that you're not familiar with. That's a good idea anyway, because if you're out hiking, you never know what you might come in contact with. You could have a coyote roam in the same area, and that's the last thing you want is a fight between your pet dog and a coyote. Even mountain lions on a lot of our local trails. So if they're right next to you, they're less likely to become prey for some of the hunters in our nearby mountains. Right. The, the key is is to stop the event from happening before it happens. Okay. And let's also talk about preparing for a disaster. Every year, usually around November, we start seeing lots of wildfires, and people have to evacuate from their homes, and they have to leave in a hurry. You don't get a lot of notice when there's a wildfire, and if the uh, local agency in charge of the event says, you have to leave now, what do you do to prepare? Well, you, you need to prepare before you need what you need. The worst time to need something is uh, when you need it and you don't have it, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, so a, a lot of these things are um, things you wouldn't think about uh, while you're making the kit, but uh, when you do need them, uh, it would be something that you would be happy that you had when you had it. Um, so some of those things for an evacuation kit would be if if um, I, I I know I keep saying dogs I, I I'm not trying to exclude cats but you know we're camp bow wow so yeah, we're about the dogs. Yeah, I understand. You're a little biased. Yeah, we 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 love kitties too. Okay. Uh, but uh, you know if I had kitties in camp bow wow it would it would cause quite a commotion. Camp ca- camp chaos. <laughs> yeah. Um, but kitty, although kitty the dogs back, would have a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there would be a lot of exercise and a lot of running around going on. Um, okay. But uh, the evacuation kit. Uh, um, if if your dog is taking uh, regular medication or regular supplements, you would want a two week supply of that medication or the or those supplements, and um, you would want those in a waterproof container. Should you rotate um, those too so they don't get old? Yeah, ro- you'd want to rotate those out every uh, 
two months or so. Okay. Uh, make sure they stay fresh. All right. Um, you'd also want a two weeks worth supply of your pet's food, the type of food they eat. Um, when dogs um, change food, or when I'm sure when cats change food um, very quickly, if, if you switch up their food, they tend to get uh, little upset tummies. So uh, you want to keep the food that they're eating. So a two-week supply of that. Okay. Um, and then some treats, usual treats. Um, also rotate those out every two months. How much water should you put in your evacuation kit? You know, a, a good rule of thumb is to go with a, a gallon of fresh water. Um, that per would animal? Be a, per animal, okay. yeah. That way that, that'll sustain you until you can get to another water source. Um, fresh, cool water is, is critical for animals, um, even more so than food um, in, in a lot of cases. Uh, they're going to need water before they need food. Absolutely. And um, so as soon as you can get to a fresh water source, uh, the sooner the better. But but a gallon per animal in, in the kit um, is a good rule of thumb to have. Another thing I like to recommend, too, is that on their ID tags, you put the phone number of an out-of-state relative or a relative or friend who lives a little bit further away than you do. That way they might not be affected by an emergency or a, a local disaster. And if your pet is away from you and, and all the cell phone lines are down and all the regular telephone lines are down, somebody can t contact your out-of-state relative or your out-of-state friend and get a hold of them and let them know they have the pet and then that way you can reunite at some later point, but at least somebody will be notified and they know where your pet is in case you get separated. That's a great that, that's a great idea. Um, another good one, and and this is one that um, I use in 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 my dog's uh, kit is is a current photo of your dog, a, a current photo um, with a detailed description of of your animal also if if your dog has a microchip number you okay. would want to include that microchip number on that okay. and and that's in case uh you your, your dog gets lost if you guys get separated by each other you could uh show those photos to people to help you uh reunite each other outstanding matthew do you have any of this information on your camp bow wow website um do i have information on the website about what we're talking about today or yes. just information about the website in general? Well, the website in general, but also oh. do you have tips for emergency preparedness that people can take a look at? Because we're just about out of time, and I want to make sure everybody has all the information. Okay, yeah, you can uh, visit us on campbowwow.com, and um, you can look for a local camp in your area, um, at, and that's www.campbowwow.com. And you can just walk through the website, and uh, there's a tremendous amount of information in there uh, about the camp, actually. And, and also, um, uh, we, we have a foster pet program. Um, there's charity organizations we're involved with, and, of course, how you would go about making a reservation. Um, there's not too much information on there about um, preparing uh, pet safety. Uh, because we take care of that for you when you come to visit us. Okay. Well, Matthew, these were outstanding tips that you gave on the radio today, and I want to thank you for coming to the show. Well, it was a pleasure to be with you, and I'm, I'm glad I could help. It is time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, get set for Pet Place News and Events here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. 
Thank you. 